You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlitt. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I apologize for the late, you know, episode, but that'll happen sometimes when there's late games. Sometimes you just got to take the day off and sleep in and whatnot. But today's all about initial reaction. Um... A lot of the complication with initial reaction is a high susceptibility to just being flat out wrong. (laughs) And so I'm going to call it more or less like I see it, give a little bit of perspective from some other people. Um, PFF does have those initial reactions up, which is always nice. Um, Some of the grades, in fact, we've got uh, Jordan Love's grade. We've got uh, BJ Baylor's grade, Romeo Dobbs. Danny Davis. Looks like they gave the Packers offensive line a grade, which is interesting. Um, dang, man, we got a bunch of grades from the offense. I'm just I'm just looking at it right now. They dude, some fantastic news. I mean, even even the one guy that I said I know had a bad day, they gave him a really good grade. Um, as pass blockers, they said not nearly as good as run blockers, but these are also good grades, so not mad. Uh TJ Slayton, Kobe Jones. We got a lot of stuff here, but um, we'll get the full rundown with that. And I'm also excited that we've got SIS to be able to kind of pick through a couple things. And I know SIS is probably a little bit more of a situational thing. So if you have specific questions, it's a little bit better. But it's still nice that we're going to have that on a game-to-game basis. And I don't know yet how long it takes for them to get these things out. And in fact, I don't even know if they do preseason at all. But either way, it'll be nice to kind of have that on a week-to-week basis as we go through. Um why don't we start, I guess, with, I think I'm going to start with other people's reactions as well as what PFF had to say, just to kind of put out a framework to build on. Because I I don't necessarily want to give my opinion and then have, you know, a massive contradiction and be like, well, then I don't know. I don't freaking know, man. (laughs) You know, Um, first of all, apparently the injury count is uh, Tipa Naliai and Dallin Levitt. I didn't know about Tipa. I didn't see him go down. Hoping that's not serious. He's having a good camp. I thought he had a good day today. Uh, again, I it's very hard to tell because the only thing I know is from those times when I key in on a guy, and maybe I just got real lucky with my eyes because every time I watched a guy, I was like, all right, let's see if he can make a play, and almost every time he did. Every time I keyed in on Kingsley and Agbar, he set the edge, um, his one sack, First of all, I called it on that drive. It was like three plays earlier. I said, all right, he's getting a sack here. I'm calling it. And sure enough, he did. So I was watching him every single play on that series until he got that sack. Uh, Tipa, the one time I watched him, I, I think he just absolutely beasted someone. I don't know. I don't think he got a sack, but I just remember. I think he, 
I think it might have just really set the edge really well because I remember being surprised because, you know, the, the biggest knock, at least in my mind, for Tipa, and maybe he's just put on weight, is that he's a small dude. I think he's like 240 or something. Really, really tiny for an edge rusher, especially a Green Bay Packers edge rusher. But he, he looked big. Maybe he's short. I don't know what the deal is. Small bones. He's small boned but seemed like he had a decent enough night. As for Dallin Levitt, um, not the best day in the world. I don't know for sure that that second touchdown was necessarily his fault. In fact, I know for a fact it was Rico's, but I still think he was the guy over the top and he was 10 yards behind. So I, I don't know. It looks like he bit real hard on somebody and it was just a disaster. Um, there was also the other really big touchdown. I don't know exactly what the situation was, but he was the guy stride for stride in both of those back-to-back touchdowns. So he kind of looked really bad. <laughs> I, you know, and I can't speak on a, on a snap to snap basis. Maybe he was great all day aside from a couple of plays and maybe those weren't even hundred percent his fault. I don't know, but not the greatest Dallin Levitt, um, game, I guess, but obviously you don't want to see the guy get hurt. And that, that looked pretty bad. Um, seeing his arm just go completely limp like that. I did see some people suggest it might've been a stinger. I mean, we, whenever you see a limb flop the way it flopped, I just assume like it's it usually something either snapped or it got dislocated or something. But when we watched him walk off the field, I mean, you know, the the arm wasn't in a sling, it wasn't being held up, it wasn't anything like that. He was he was moving it, so it's if it was disconnected, they they popped it back in place on the sideline. So I'm I'm guessing that's not it. It's not to say that something serious didn't happen. But I'm kind of getting the impression he's going to be okay. But again, I, I, haven't, I don't really know anything about Tipa, and, and I guess we're going to get an injury update. I don't know if I said this already, but an injury update on Sunday. So we'll get a, a little bit more in-depth look at that. Um, via PFF, the starters snap counts. So these are all the starters and the snap counts that they had. Uh, Jordan Love, 36 snaps. He was obviously the only starter. Running backs, Tyler Goodson, 27 snaps. Patrick Taylor, 9 Tight ends, Josiah 26, Tyler Davis 23, and then for the wide receivers, Juwan Winfrey 29, Dobbs 28, Amari 24, Samori 13, Danny Davis 1. Does that mean his one touchdown was his one snap? I don't know. Maybe it does. (laughs) If you're wondering why it doesn't go into offensive linemen, it's because this is a fantasy football thing, so I don't know. Some people care about that stuff. But more importantly, let's take a look at uh, what they had to say about the different players and how they graded out and stuff, because this is, this is kind of exciting. It doesn't leave us as much for tomorrow, but you know, they'll, they'll be plenty to go through. And sometimes the grades vary, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go, they go through the approval process and after the second and third and fourth person looks at it, they'll, they'll change some of the grades, but at quarterback now to be clear that the general narrative is, well, there, there's, there's a competing narrative on Twitter. Number one is Jordan Love had, I guess there's technically three. Some people are trying to defend Jordan Love to the death. He had a great day, great poise, everything else. Even the coach had our back on that. He said he had a great day. Everything's great. Everything's perfect. He had a perfect day. I don't fall into that camp. The other competing one primarily is Jordan Love looked like garbage. He threw three interceptions, four interceptions, whatever it was. It was a disaster. Some of the balls were high. Some of them were behind. He didn't look confident. He looked shaky. He did, 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 did. I don't really fall into that camp either. I have seen a couple people down the middle, and that's where I tend to fall on this. He was clearly not as good as his stat line. 13 of 24, 176 yards and three interceptions. If you just saw that, you'd say, well, that's it. Pack it up. I'm done. It's over. It wasn't that bad. 
And clearly two of those interceptions were not his fault. And, and PFF will go on to explain that. But a lot of people are trying to make excuses for the third interception saying that wasn't his fault either. Matt LaFleur even said so. I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. It shouldn't have been his fault because you had two wide receivers run the wrong route. So he's looking and looking and nobody's where they're supposed to be. So he, he goes to the one guy running the correct route and that's Amari Rodgers. But nobody forced Jordan Love to underthrow the ball right to the to, to the DB to pick the ball off. It's not an easy throw. When you got a guy blanketed that much, you have to get the ball out in front to where only Amari can get it. And even then, it's not a guarantee. Because a lot of times, the DB can reach out to right about where your fingertips are. So best case scenario, that thing gets tipped away. But if that's underthrown even a tiny bit, and, and by underthrown, I don't mean thrown behind him. I just mean if you throw it at him, there's a good chance it's going to get picked. And I think that's what he did. He kind of threw it at him, and the DB was able to cut in front. That needs to be way out in front. So at him is, is too far behind. The better option, though, I think, in, in my opinion, and, and maybe, you know, it's, it's preseason. It's possible that if he decides, you know what, I'm going to break, he's, he's not open, I'm just going to break the pocket, I'm going to see if anybody can get open. If not, I'm going to throw the ball away. It's possible that he's going to get dinged for that. You know, they're going to go back, look at the film, and say, Amari is, is, is open enough. That's a throw you got to make. And so he realizes that and says, hey, they want me to cut it loose. I'm going to cut it loose. It's preseason, right? It's just like training camp. Aaron Rodgers throws a lot more interceptions in training camp. Why? Because it's training camp. You throw some stuff that you wouldn't throw in the regular season. You, you, you try stuff. You, you know, you're also launching it up to guys you don't trust as much, giving them opportunities. And sometimes, you know, like uh, Jair versus Samori Ture. I don't think that's ever happened in camp. But that's one of those times Aaron Rodgers in a real game, if that was the situation, wouldn't even think about throwing in that direction unless Jair falls down and, and Ture is just running down the field wide open. In camp, though, yeah, let's try it. And also, to be clear, just to you know, give him a little... Again, it was a bad ball. It was not a well-thrown ball. But I, I, I give him credit for the confidence. You've already thrown two picks. You would assume that in the back of your mind, you're thinking, mm, I'm not going to risk it. And you start getting real risk-averse. And you start you know, not wanting to throw passes that could even conceivably be intercepted. Not only that, after all this disaster, he comes back and, and drives the team down the field for a touchdown. His ability to shake this stuff off, come back, and just play is impressive. In fact, that's exactly what happened against the Chiefs. It was a disaster. Everything was horrible. The guy was under constant pressure. It's one of those games that, quite honestly, and, and please do not take this the wrong way, that I'm comparing him to Jordan, or Aaron Rodgers and saying he's better than Aaron Rodgers. That's not what I'm saying, but I do think that's an area that Rodgers struggles with a lot. When things are that bad and he's under constant duress, pack it up. If he, if he had had a game as bad as Jordan Love had in that game, which I don't know if he's ever had that, but on top of that, with all the pressure, there's no way Rodgers is going to come back from that. The fact that Jordan Love, on like the second to last drive, drove down the field and scored a touchdown, and then on the final drive, drove all the way back down the field again and nearly won the game, but again, slightly underthrown ball, gets picked off, game over, that sucks. That's an issue, but if we're to, got to at least give him that amount of credit. He has that ability to shut everything off and say, eh, we're going to go back down and we're going to do it again. He doesn't shut down. Now, with all that said, I thought it was mediocre at best, his performance. And to be fair, PFF kind of agreed. Let me read what it says here. Um, his finish, 13 of 24 for 176 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions. Love also added four carries for 24 yards on the ground and finished with a 66 PFF grade. Now, people that say he had a great day and... All those things weren't his fault. They're going to be mad that this grade is too low. People that think that he had a 
horrible day, you're going to be mad that he got a 66 overall grade. I think that this makes a perfect, I think this makes perfect sense. In fact, a lot of times I think they give Jordan Love not enough credit because a lot of times I say a lot of this isn't his fault and look at all the pressure and all that stuff. You can't blame him for that. This one makes sense to me. And to be completely honest, it this is a, a situation where PFF is a great tool because the stat line does not give a right picture. I think 66 does. And to be honest, this might be one of his best grades ever. So <laughs> let me actually look at that because he has not had good grades. No, that's not true. Week one last year, 72. So that was that was his highest ever. His other game was a 43. Oh, no, he had a he had a 76 when he came in against New Orleans. Otherwise, all bad. It's five of seven for 68 yards in that game. That's kind of funny. But yeah, I thought, um, let, let, let me put it this way. It wasn't, I didn't get the impression from Jordan Love the same way I felt about Aaron Rodgers at this time. I remember watching Aaron Rodgers in the preseason and thinking, dang, man, this guy's actually pretty good. Like, he seems legit. And I, I still remember that that game. It was It was during my birthday party, so around late November-ish, early December. We were in college, had a bunch of friends over. Favre, or Rodgers didn't play in that game, or Favre didn't play in that game, so Rodgers comes in, and um, I had a friend who was losing it. This guy's a bum, get him out of there, da, da, da. And I was like, I'm telling you, dude, this guy's pretty good. Let's let's see what he can do. And he goes like 10 for 10 before my friend finally is like, all right, fine, he's, he's pretty good. I don't have that feeling from Jordan Love at all. However, if his receivers and the tight ends and whatnot didn't let him down in such spectacular fashion, things would have looked a lot better for Jordan Love. Not only would his stat line look a lot better, his confidence would have been a lot better. We would have converted more first downs to make the entire offense while he was out there look better. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. PFF goes on to say, despite throwing three interceptions, only one was deemed a turnover-worthy play, Womack's second interception. Love made a beautiful back shoulder throw to Danny Davis down the sideline, which resulted in a touchdown, as Love displayed some ability to throw his receivers open. Then it says Love was replaced by Danny Etling in the second half, and Etling outperformed the starter by PFF passing grade, posting a 70.8 compared to Love's 67.4. Etling went 6 of 8 for 123 yards and a touchdown. He also had one big-time throw and one turnover-worthy play. So first of all, by comparison, they both had one turnover-worthy play. Love's was picked, Etling's was not. Beyond that, just to be very clear, every single year for all of eternity, Packer fans have been obsessed with the third-string quarterback. You know why? Because the third-string quarterback comes in against the third-string defenses and usually does a very good job tearing them up. In fact, this is not a Packers phenomenon. I've heard other reporters and things talk about how their fan base is always obsessed with the third-string quarterback. There, There doesn't seem to be an ability in fans' minds to recognize that he's going up against guys that are not even going to make the team on the other side, right? He's beating guys that are not even going to be 49ers this year. And that's why they always seem to look good. I posted a tweet about it yesterday. It just says, Packers fans' obsession with third-string quarterbacks will always be hilarious. And then I listed off some of them. Etling, who is now a, already a superstar. He's better than Love. He's better than... And a lot, of, a lot of it is Love-hate, right? Just proves that Love is bad because Etling is better. No, Etling is not better. Etling did a slightly better job against much worse competition. But it was the same thing with Kurt Benkert. Before that, it was Tim Boyle. The obsession with Tim Boyle was out of control. Taysom Hill, granted, he's still out there doing some stuff out there somewhere, but Taysom Hill, I mean, he was, I love Taysom Hill. He was significantly better than um, everybody else that we saw in the preseason, including Aaron Rodgers, by the way. 
when we saw him, you know, very briefly. But he was by far the best quarterback every time I saw him on the field. I love Taysom Hill. The Packers caught him. Didn't go on to be a starting quarterback anywhere. Brett Hundley, when he was a third-string quarterback, man, was he promising. When we first drafted him and he was third-string, really thought there was something special there. Until he started moving up the depth chart and then eventually starting in the regular season, that's when you realize, oh, never mind. Absolutely nothing here. And other people pointed out, like, Joe Callahan was another one. And that was another guy I liked, Joe Callahan. It's like, dang, man, this guy's actually really good. Third-string quarterbacks always look good. They do. I don't know what it is. There's just a, a, a... It must be something about general talent levels, you know? Like, when you get to second string, defenses still have that level of depth. And then third string, the defensive depth is zero or so, something to that effect. It's really weird because you would assume it wouldn't always be that way, you know, because it's third string offense too, and it's a third string quarterback. But it, it just seems like second string defenses compared to second string quarterbacks and offenses compared to third string offense and defense, it always skews in the favor of third string offenses slash quarterbacks. Because that always is the case in Green Bay. And like I said, in other fan bases as well, that always just seems to be the situation. So, you know, I mean, you can like the guy if you want. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with rooting for a guy that's having a really good camp. But please don't get carried away. Because there are people who are legitimately saying he's better than love. He looks really good out there. You know, as though there's like something we need to actually have a conversation about. Like, maybe this guy should be our backup. Maybe he's a legit guy. We should give him a shot. It's like, guys, you got to stop, man. I promise you, he's not very good. You put him out there with the starters like Jordan Love had to go up against, and I'm willing to bet Danny Etling is not looking super great. And I hate to dump on the guy. You know, Danny Etling came in, he did a great job. Congrats to him. I'm, I'm just saying the fan base gets a little silly sometimes. Moving on to running backs, and just to be clear, in case you hear something in the background, um, the wife is sick to the point of not being able to get out of bed, and um, the little one is up, so... Yesterday, my wife didn't get out of bed till like one in the afternoon. And if that's the case, then this podcast is not going to get out. So we're going to try setting up the TV in the office and letting the little one watch some baby animal elephants and whatnot and uh, see if I can get through this. So far, so good. But with running back and and once in a while, something happens that makes me want to fight PFF. I'm just saying once in a while, something happens and I'm like, you know what? No, I'm putting my foot down. I'm not buying it. Let me read what they wrote about running back. With Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon sitting out, B.J. Baylor posted the highest rushing grade among Packers running backs, 69.1. Finishing with seven carries for 19 yards, he also forced one missed tackle. Um, You know, maybe. <laughs> Keep in mind, he said rushing grade. So it's not like, yeah, well, he didn't do this well or that. We're just talking about rushing grade here. I don't know. I feel like B.J. Baylor was the worst running back of the group, aside from maybe Patrick Taylor. I don't know how Goodson, and, and by the way, Dexter Williams, he had like two carries and one of them was for like 50 yards. So I'm not trying to trash B.J. Baylor or anything, but first of all, the fact that the highest grade was 69, Dexter and Goodson didn't have anything 70 or above, come on, man. Why you got to lie to me like that? But to say that B.J. had, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just missed it. Maybe he did a great job. And to me, it looked like he just kind of plowed ahead into piles of guys and nothing happened. Little one got upset with me with how low the uh, volume on the TV is. So if you hear a little bit of noise in the background about gorillas and stuff, I apologize. It's just we 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 got to make it work somehow here. All right, doing the best I can. Anyways, we'll delve in a little bit more on uh, the running backs when we get a chance. But um, I'm I'm just gonna straight up fight PFF on that one. I'm not buying it. I think BJ Baylor looked great. 
Now, I, I, he did have some issues in the as a receiver. I think most of the running backs had issues as receivers. Way too many drops. But I, I've always said from day one, B.J. Baylor is a great runner. I have not heard a single thing about him as a receiver or a blocker. And now we've got some negatives in that column. Patrick Taylor didn't do anything right. Um, B.J., I mean, the one th- what we keep hearing about B.J. is a good blocker and hear him a little bit as a receiver. And he had that big wheel route play, right? That was, that was a great play. Again, his positive grade had nothing to do with that because that was a reception. We're talking about rushing grade only. So, I, you know, I don't want to come down hard on B.J., um, looks like he's a good blocker and a good receiver. In fact, I'm a little surprised he's not higher on the depth chart just because the Packers like more versatile guys. And if Goodson really is just a pure runner, then that's probably not good enough. But obviously, they really like the guy. And I could see why, because he had a great day running the ball, and I don't care what PFF says. Receivers and tight ends. Now, this is where other people are going to get upset, but I'm not going to fight PFF on this one with Romeo Dobbs because I don't know that it was that great of a performance from Romeo. I really don't. It was decent. But it's nowhere near good enough to be like, this guy's going to be a great receiver. If he does this in a regular game, Rodgers is just going to be like, I'm not throwing to you anymore. Between the drops and that ultimately that interception, I mean, it went from being a great one-handed catch to what the heck are you doing? I mean, watching that replay, you know, usually when you're going to the ground, you cradle that ball and you squeeze it to death. He's like placing it in the 49ers arms as he falls to the ground. I, I don't I don't understand that. He had the ball. When you get the ball, you 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 make sure you keep it seems like he had the ball and just kind of like, I don't know, was more worried about bracing his fall or something, not really worried about the ball and where that ended up. It was very weird to me. But it was another situation where it should have been a better day, but he had an easy drop, at least one, maybe two, I don't know. Oh, it was two, according to PFF here. So two drops, I think on top of, unless they're counting that as a drop, but on top of that turnover, that shouldn't have been. Um, You know, I know he had the touchdown, but it has to be better than that. It has to be much cleaner. You cannot have two drops, period. You can't. That's terrible. I mean, it's it's nice when you're talking preseason and we don't really know much about you and all that stuff. What are you doing with that devious look on your face? You trying to touch my cups? No, don't touch your cups. Watch monkeys. Watch monkeys. Don't touch my stuff. Thank you. Here's what it says. In a performance belied by highs and lows, rookie receiver Romeo Dobbs finished with three catches on eight targets. That by itself is not great. Eight targets and you came down with three of them? I like Dobbs. I'm all about the hype train. But I'm just telling you, the drops alone are enough to make you just a flat-out bad receiver. That is a massive... It's not a minor thing. And it's not just this cutesy little, oh, well, he's got some drop issues. And It's been a serious problem in training camp. It's been a serious problem in the preseason now. You can't have that. That's not good enough. And we can forget all about Offensive Rookie of the Year. We can forget all about him being much of a producer. At this point... Just with those issues, even as good as he is off the line, down the field, everything else, I think Winfrey would be ahead of Dobbs at this point. Nowhere near as good of a, of a receiver from a route running perspective. But if Aaron Rodgers was forced to play a game right now, Cobb, Sammy Watkins, Lazard, Winfrey, these guys are all going to be right ahead of him. So, you know, as much as he's an exciting prospect and all these things are great, we don't have a lot of time for him to clean this stuff up. Anyways, continuing on, it says, while Dobbs showcased his impressive route running to create separation on his touchdown grab, he was plagued by two drops. Uh, Dobbs only dropped five passes in 2021 with Nevada. Ultimately, Dobbs posted a middling 60 PFF grade, which again is terrible. When you factor in the fact that he's crushing everybody off the line, he's faster than everybody down the field. He had a big touchdown reception and he ended up with a 60 Y because there was so much bad mixed in with the good. 
Ultimately, that's that's the same situation with Jordan Love, and we don't give Jordan Love a pass, do we? When he has a great first half and then really starts to struggle and everything starts to go south and he's throwing interceptions and high passes and everything, you know, if he's 50% good and 50% bad, we call him garbage and say he shouldn't be on the team. If Romeo Dobbs is 50% good and 50% trash, guess what? He, he deserves that same energy. So still excited about him. He has a lot of potential, but it's not a minor thing. It's a major thing, and it has to get fixed and quickly. And I don't know that it can, you know, drops are one of those things that it's like, I don't, I don't know that you just coach drops out of somebody. So yes, I'm legitimately concerned at this point. The other person they highlighted is Danny Davis says Davis did get a ton of opportunities to produce, but he made them, uh, I'm guessing that's supposed to say did not. It says did get a ton of opportunities to produce, but he made the most of the ones that he did hauling in both of his targets for 45 yards and a touchdown. David, supposed to be Davis, led the way for Green Bay's receivers with a 74.5 overall PFF grade. Highest graded. What is the problem over there? What are you moaning about? What? Nothing? Okay. Highest graded receiver, Danny Davis, 74.5 overall grade. Anyways, why don't we take a break here? That way we can just kind of wrap up the rest of this rapid fire without having to stop. Big giant thank you to Donnie. Thank you so much for jumping in on Patreon. That is greatly, greatly appreciated. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. We will take a break. We will be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's get into some good stuff here. Um, actually quite surprising. The next thing that they go on to talk about... Um, is the offensive line. Now, I didn't really have an issue with the offensive line entirely. It seemed like they held up fairly well, but the general consensus is that Sean Ryan had an absolutely garbage day. PFF massively disagrees. 
Here's what they had to say. The Packers' offensive line fared much better in pass protection than the 49ers, as Green Bay finished with an impressive 71.6 pass blocking grade Friday night. That's the overall grade for all of the players. Ultimately, the Packers had five different offensive linemen finish with 80-plus initial grades in pass protection. This is just pass protection, not overall, but still, that's the most important thing. Here are all the players with an 80 or higher pass blocking grade. Jake Hansen with an 87.1 overall grade. John Runyon, who's always been a very good pass blocker, 86.5. Josh Myers with an 81.8. Sean Ryan with an 80.3. And Cole Van Landen, who played guard, 80.3. I don't know that I've seen a ton of Cole Van Landen at guard, if any at all. I'd have to go back and look. But that was interesting that they slotted him in there. But um, five players, and and that's that's not even to say everybody else is bad. This is like really good. This doesn't include the 70s and everything else, even high 60s. It goes on to say they weren't nearly as dominant as run blockers, as Runyon, 77.7, Hanson, 75.0, were the only Green Bay offensive linemen who posted a 70-plus initial run blocking grades. First of all, that's great news for Runyon because he's always been kind of a bad run blocker. Um, but yeah, that that is sort of a general knock on the Packers, and I did notice that last night. Anything outside zone seemed decent. Anything to the inside just wasn't working. They just don't have the ability to just push people out of the way, it seems like. And that's been a con- consistent recurring problem with our offensive line. If we need to open up a hole between the center and guard or the guard and tackle... It's just it just doesn't work. I don't know what the problem is. But anyways, overall, very impressive from the offensive line. Defensive line, which is probably my, my favorite thing of the entire night, because like I said, every time I picked anybody out along the entire defensive line, I was happy with what I saw, with the exception of maybe once I saw a guy. I don't remember who it was exactly. I, uh, I don't know. I, I saw one guy get washed out. That was about it. But it says interior defensive lineman to Daryl Slayton, TJ Slayton, Put together a noteworthy performance as a pass rusher. Again, that guy loves to prove me wrong. Every single time I start talking about, we got to stop expecting him to be a pass rusher. He's going to be a good run defender, and that's fine. That's all we need him to be. We don't need him to be a great pass rusher. Every time he comes through as a pass rusher, it says he posted an excellent 86.7 pass rushing grade on the back of two pressures and a game-high 36.4 pass rush win rate. That is so stupid. Remember, Rashawn Gary this past year essentially broke a record, uh, him and Max Crosby, I guess, cracking 26% on the season. So 26% is stupid high. He has more than one-third of the times he lined up against somebody, he beat the guy across from him. And obviously he wasn't the only one, because again, everybody I saw, especially uh, Heflin, just crushed the guy in front of him. Although, I I think it was when Slayton was in there. It was embarrassing. I mean, just walking guys straight back. So I'm, I'm excited, and that, and that's a big narrative on Twitter right now too. Is is how exciting it is. First of all, the idea of now I see why the offensive line is struggling so much. But beyond that, depth. This is the defensive line destroyed the 49ers' offensive line all night long. Second th- string, third string. It was just constant. And I know toward the end, like they, you know, they started opening up some holes. There was some issues with sort of over-aggression, which is kind of feels like more of an old-school Dom Capers issue. I remember back in the day, it was a lot about penetration, and guys would get through, but then everybody's kind of doing their own thing. They're not really working together, and there would be these giant holes for for quarterbacks to run through. And that's when we started to get more into, like, the hold your ground and slowly press the pocket so you get less 
less guys flying through and making plays, but you also get less of this guys just running wild, um, breaking the pocket, escaping all this stuff. This felt a little bit more of just let guys play, let guys run wild. And so we saw the quarterbacks kind of break through and run for some big plays, probably much more susceptible to things like draws. But it was just fun watching our defensive line destroy everybody. And again, the, the, the cool thing is you get into preseason and the whole thing is what we don't want to see is the defensive line can't do anything and the offensive line is garbage because then you look at it and go, okay, so, so now we're in trouble. But the fact that not only did our defensive line hold up, even with the backups, but our offensive line held up. I know it's not a, a, a real game against you know the number one, this, that, or the other, but that's still impressive. Goes on to say, Edge Kobe Jones led the way for Green Bay's defensive line in terms of run defense, finishing with two run stops and a team-high 69.9 run defense grade. That kind of sucks <laughs> that nobody cracks 70 as, as a run defender, especially since everybody we had left out there is a massive human being. We had, like, what, Jack Heflin, TJ Slayton, Jonathan Ford. I mean, these are all, like, massive nose tackle type guys. For linebackers, it says Isaiah McDuffie and Ty Summers led the way for Green Bay's linebackers in terms of run stops, posting two each. Each also finished with an average depth of tackle under two yards. Green Bay's linebackers weren't targeted often in coverage. Ellis Brooks was targeted twice and allowed only one catch, but that catch went for five for a five-yard touchdown, which is why he finished with a sub-50 coverage grade for the game, which does kind of stink. I mean, if you don't play very much and you generally have a, a good game, but the one time you get thrown out there is goal line and they pick on you and you get a touchdown. Obviously, overall, really bad game, <laughs> but also not really fair. You don't get the rest of the, you know, like if that happens to Quay Walker in a normal game, you've got 60 other opportunities to make that right, you know. And then finally, secondary cornerbacks KB Ento and Keandre Thomas were the only Packers defenders who generated 80 plus coverage grades Friday night. Um, I did notice these two, Keandre Thomas in particular, I noticed he lit guys up. Every time he tackled somebody, he crushed them. That was exciting. And Ento, for sure, I don't remember what. I do remember, I think, did he have the really good? It was either Thomas or Ento had that really good pass breakup, I think. I don't know. I, I know Ento had at least a, a pass breakup somewhere. And it says, each also finished with a forced incompletion. Safety, Shamar Jean Charles was Green Bay's highest graded safety, which is not surprising. I thought, and everybody seemed to think he had a good day. The part where he's listed as a safety might be the part that's surprising to most people because I didn't notice where he lined up. I saw somebody, when we did the live stream, saying he was in the slot all day long. So they listed him as a safety. Says he uh, also had a really solid run defense grade of 73.3. You know, it's, it's funny too because I'm looking at this throw just kind of randomly here. I saw this on Twitter. Somebody posted the, um, the overhead view of the throw from Jordan Love to Amari that got picked. It's funny because in my mind, Amari's just running across the field with a guy on him, and Rogers, or Love throws it, and it's not a good throw. If you look at this on a frame-by-frame, frame, I mean, he's got the ball all the way cocked back before Amari even comes out of his, his break. He's got the ball out of his hand before Amari really even turns his head. And by the way, Amari is behind the defender. So he's trying to time this so that Amari comes out of this break and is able to catch the ball. And um, I don't know if it's like an Amari problem or the defender just does such a good job, but Amari never really like gets around the guy cleanly, you know, just pushing straight past him. He kind of allows him to get muscled and pushed in, in just kind of a weird, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, he's trying to do a, a, a timed throw to Amari. There's nothing there, right? He's, he's throwing it with the expectation because the defender does have his back turned, right? 
So with the defender's back turn, he doesn't know the ball's out. So if Amari can just push through this cleanly, turn and catch the ball, um, it's not there. But the defender turns his head, which is really impressive, right as he comes out of his break. The ball's about halfway to where they are, and Amari, again, just not really coming out of there cleanly. And it's, it's you know, I don't want to blame Amari necessarily because Love probably didn't throw it exactly. But I, I just, I mean, that's something that would take so much practice to, to know, I mean, when to come out of your break, you know, exactly how to come out of this break. I don't know. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to be able to make that throw. And then looking at everybody else, again, I guess two guys ran the wrong route. One guy just kind of stopped. Um, and yeah, there, there's, there's absolutely nothing here. There's nowhere to go. So Love had one option. And again, I like that as soon as the defender turns his back, Knowing that love is going to cut or that um, Amari is going to break in, I understand the throw trying to get it there, but it just, he never, I, I guess that's a good defensive play. He never gets past him. He never just pushes past the defender to just come out and catch the ball. So I don't know. I don't know. All I know is just looking at it from that perspective, it's, it's, I'm not trying to say less of Love's fault, but it's a much more difficult throw than I thought. I thought it was just two guys running across the field. He tries to throw it out in front of Amari and doesn't get it out far enough. That's absolutely not the case. He throws it before Amari even turns to come out of his break. Anyways, um, I want to get back to the roster as a whole and just kind of go through it. One of the things, and again, I'm just kind of, I'm just looking through. Twitter's got a ton of like highlights and everything else up. One of the things I wasn't sure about is um, how many of these guys are going to be end up being starters and whatnot. So how much you can really, really be excited about these guys. But again, TJ Slayton had a great day, and he was going up against the number ones. I just looked at this one play posted by Ben Fennel, Packers second-year defensive tackle Slayton. Looks later, quicker off the ball. Anyways, he's crushing this guy, just throws him right back to the quarterback and then gets around the quarterback. And if there was anybody within a quarter mile anywhere else along the defensive line, who is just getting wrecked right now? Was that Heflin, 96? I mean, it's just... and and I. Maybe it's supposed to be Quay in that spot. Maybe that's Quay's problem. I don't know. But Heflin goes off to the left, and Slayton goes off to the right, and it leaves this quarter-mile gap that is just staggering to me that you would leave a guy like Lance a gap like that. But anyways, um, he's crushing this guy, and I'm looking at it. It's number 74. I'm like, all right, see if that guy's a starter. Sure enough, it's their starting right guard. Granted, he's a rookie, but that is their starting right guard, and he just absolutely annihilated the guy. This is our DT4 up against a starting right guard. If we can rotate these guys, if we've got Dean Lowry, we got Kenny Clark, we got Jaron Reed, and then when we need to give them a breather, we've got TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, Jack Heflin, who again, I know he's not the greatest player in the world, but Heflin looked decent last night for sure. That's massively exciting. Um, but anyways, again, going through the the roster on my own, looking at the wide receivers again, I'm very excited about Romeo Dobbs. I, I think we're getting overexcited about him though. Because the stuff that he got wrong has to be fixed. Amari, I think, had a real good day. Um, the kick return was the most exciting thing. I think people are taking it a little bit too far in terms of, you know, this is way better than we saw last year. I don't really know that it was. Again, I just think everybody hated him too much last year. He had plays, you know. And again, on, on either of those plays, I don't know that he couldn't have done either of those things last year. If he had that much space on a return, what, he couldn't have run forward? And on the touchdown pass, like, what did he do that he couldn't have done before? He ran forward and then dove for a touchdown. So I don't want to take anything away from him. It's just a matter of, I think he got too much hate last year because he made a couple of mistakes. 
And and the the idea is like he he was so inept and so incapable of doing anything. He was the worst, most pathetic thing. And then in this game, he was the greatest thing we've ever seen in our. It's like all right, dude. Everybody needs to chill. He wasn't as bad as you're saying he was last year, and he did have a good game today for sure, yesterday. But um, just 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 relax. <laughs> um, Juwan Winfrey, I thought was fine. Nothing super great, nothing super awful, which is, I think, why Jawan Winfrey is so well-liked. He's a big dude that's a reliable target and is not, probably not going to drop the pass and probably not going to run the wrong route, probably, maybe. Samori Ture, I thought, was decent. The biggest problem I have with Ture, and this is kind of an issue a little bit with Dobbs, but mostly with Ture, is he plays way too scared. Way too scared. There was an incompletion that he, he got some alligator arms and decided, I'm not reaching out for that because he didn't want to get hit. Can't do that. You know, I understand the quarterback, you got to protect your guy or whatever coming across the middle, but for you to just be like, nope, sorry, not touching that, that kind of sucks. And then there was another play I saw where he was supposed to block and basically just ducked a block. Like, dude, you you have got to kind of man up a little bit. And, um, you know, if you're going to be an NFL football player, especially for the Green Bay Packers, where they have their wide receivers do a lot of dirty work, you cannot be ducking passes and blocking opportunities. That's never going to work. Uh, Danny Davis had a fantastic day, very limited opportunities, but he obviously took advantage of them. I think he's just continuing on a strong camp. Ishmael Hyman, uh, I only remember him as a returner and I just remember having panic attacks, but fortunately nothing really bad happened. So there you go. Um, offensive line again, I didn't notice much. It's hard to kind of pay attention to the offensive line, especially when you don't even exactly know who you're looking at, but I didn't see anything super horrible. Again, most people, they kept calling out Sean Ryan saying he was having a bad day. I don't think I saw that, but I know a lot of people were really not happy with his abilities. So PFF disagrees. I don't exactly know. I did record the game, so I have the opportunity to go back and watch, which will be great. But not a ton of offensive line notes other than PFF said they did great, and that's exciting. Somebody else posted, um, I don't know if it was Fennel or who it was, but uh, on that screen saying that you know Goodson's going to be getting a lot of love for that play on the screen, but Really, the offensive line should be getting a lot more respect for that because that was a great job of getting out and blocking. And that's true. I think it was Myers and Hansen, maybe, got out in space and created some really nice blocks and, and gave him that opportunity. I'm also looking at Ben Fennel kind of highlighting Romeo Dobbs' blocking abilities and, again, kind of lacking, which I'm not mad at that. I really, honestly, at this point, I don't care. I want you to be a good receiver. We'll figure out the blocking as time goes on. A lot of that was, you know, it's not really willingness. He's throwing, you know throwing shoulders at guys. He's just way off, you know, the angles and everything else are way off. But you got guys coming up and making plays twice on our running backs because you're just completely whiffing on blocks, you know. And that's the thing, again, you're expected to do that. These plays don't work if we have wide receivers out there that can't block. And that is a problem. And that's why, you know, again, people are going to be mad when Jawan Winfrey's out there and over Dobbs. And, you know, nobody can understand why. Well, because our offense doesn't work when he's on the field, other than, you know, throwing the ball to him, which is great. But what good is that if you can't run the ball? So I'm not worried at this point, but he does have to figure it out. Oh, and some good news about Zach Wilson just came across the wire here. Zach Wilson has a bone bruise and a meniscus tear in his right knee. He's sidelined two to four weeks. Important to note, the meniscus doesn't need a full repair, just trimmed per source. So that's good news for them. Anyways, as far as the tight ends go, um, I thought Josiah looked fine. He looked good out there. Um, I'm kind of upset. One of One of Jordan Love's kind of bad throws, and granted, it looked like there should have been some defensive penalty called on that, but either way, the ball was so overthrown. But still, that would have been nice to see Josiah catch that big one. Either way, though, 
as a blocker and as a receiver. It seemed like he had a pretty good day. Tyler Davis was the big disappointment. And I'm again, I've been so weirded out by the whole Tyler Davis thing since the beginning. You know, like, where is this coming from? Why is he constantly being hyped? Why, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst are all, we think we have something here. And the fan base is freaking out. Tyler Davis, he's going to be so great. Da, 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 da. And it's just weird. And then he does nothing in training camp. I mean, he's got a couple highlights, but so does everybody. He, he hasn't stood out in camp, not more than Josiah or Dominique Daphne has. And then he comes in this game and just looks awful. He got absolutely destroyed as a run blocker and then lets a pass go right through his hands, like hit him in the face, and it ends up getting picked off as we're at the goal line. If you could have caught it, he possibly could have turned in and got a touchdown, at least got us down to the one-yard line. But no. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's one preseason game. I'm just extra annoyed because there's been all this hype about Tyler Davis. Oh, Tyler Davis. Tyler Davis. Gonna be so amazing. Tyler Davis, everybody. I'm like, all right, I'll buy it, man. Let's get excited. Let's get hyped for Tyler Davis. And there's just been nothing. So whatever. Kind of over it. I kind of feel like Tyler Davis, like I do for a lot of other guys, including Jordan Love, where it's like, I'm going to assume you're not going to be good. If you feel like proving me wrong at any time, go right ahead and do it. Didn't see anything about Sal Canella or Alizé Mack. I'm assuming they were out there somewhere. Uh, quarterbacks I already talked about. Um, I thought Etling looked good, but all again, all th- third-string quarterbacks look good. He did a decent job. Again, the hype is so insane. You know, the, I saw somebody post that wheel route and say he looks better than Jordan Love. Like, did you not see the touchdown pass to Romeo Dobbs? Did you not see the touchdown pass to Danny Davis? But we're just going to pretend that Jordan Love only threw interceptions. And the only throw from Danny Etling was this really pretty wheel route throw. And then that'll be the narrative that we set up because we like saying silly things. Uh, Running backs, I mean, Patrick Taylor did not get a lot of opportunities, but I thought he looked bad, right? I mean, I've always liked Patrick Taylor, but the upright running stuff is not working. And, you know, Dexter Williams, I loved. I'm upset that he's probably going to end up getting cut pretty quick here because he was just a camp body, just a guy to bring in so we have the numbers. But, um... I mean, I, I just, I always felt like he looked good. He gets the ball and he's so quick. And he did it again. He, he just busted off a big run. That's just, in my mind, I saw that. And I'm like, that's what Dexter does. Now, he came back and dropped a pass like everybody else seemed to do. Like all the running backs, I think, had at least one drop pass. But um, I was happy to see Dexter. I was happy to see him with a really big run because that's what he does. Tyler Goodson, I think he's just a runner. Again, drop passes and everything else. He did catch the screen, but I know he dropped at least one pass. Still, as a runner, I thought he's phenomenal he seems quick he seems decisive um shifty i like tyler goodson as a runner i don't know about the blocking and receiving though which is an important element you know it's the same thing with romeo Dobbs. we can get excited about the one thing but we can't ignore the other things and if tyler goodson's going to be the third running back he has to block he has to be a receiver that's not debatable i'm not saying he can't i'm just saying i haven't seen that side of it yet B.J. Baylor, I think, is everything but a running back, which is why I got mad at PFF. They're like, oh, he had the best running grade. Like, when did he have a good run ever? He just kind of reminded me of, I hate to be mean about it, but kind of reminded me of, like, Jamal back in the day, where it was kind of just grab the ball and run, just run straight into a pile of guys, except he's not as strong as Jamal, so it doesn't look as impressive. He kind of just grabbed it and ran into a pile of guys and went down. And again, it's one of those things where, well, that's the offensive line's fault. Well, maybe it is, or maybe it's not. You know, some of that has to do with decision-making. I mean, it, maybe it was just bad luck that he got, you know, in there on the, on the wrong plays. But, you know, Dexter made something out of nothing. There was nothing there. He broke it to the outside, and he got a huge gain out of it. Uh, defensive line, as I said, I was, I was happy with it. I was really upset Devontae Wyatt was out. 
don't really know what's going on with that. I know they said concussion, but then they kind of said it was just precautionary. Well, did he have a concussion or not? I don't, I don't understand. But again, everybody kind of held it down. I thought Jonathan Ford had a decent night. TJ Slayton definitely did. I really like what Jack, Jack Heflin did in this game. Nice little battle between Heflin and Jonathan Ford, kind of just exchanging good plays. Um, the guys off the edge, I thought, seemed solid. Again, I, the little bit I saw of Tipa, I thought he looked good. Um, Kingsley, I only looked at him a couple times. That's the problem. I, I, I watched these guys maybe three times, and they're out there for 15, 16, 17, 20 snaps. But uh, Kingsley, the couple times I looked at him, he did a great job of setting the edge, and then he had that one big sack. Garvin, I thought, looked solid. Kobe Jones had the one sack. That was I didn't really notice him other than that, but he had that one play at least. Um, defensively, Rico Gafford had some issues. The one big touchdown was was on Rico. I know we're blaming Dallin Levitt, but um, he got turned around real bad, fell on his face, and just gave up that touchdown. That was real ugly. Um, he did kind of come back. I mean, his, his first, I think it was kick return, actually was pretty decent, I thought. He got out to like the 26, 27-ish, maybe the 30. He also had a really big pass breakup, which was nice to see. He kind of redeemed himself for that for that you know really bad touchdown rep. So he had a couple bad reps out there and some really good ones. Again, Keandre Thomas, I thought, had a good day. Shamar Jean Charles had a good day. Keyshawn Nixon. Actually, maybe it was Keyshawn Nixon that was laying people out, not Keandre Thomas. I think it might have been Nixon. Um, other than that, I know Micah Abernathy. I think he gave up a touchdown. <laughs> or a penalty or something. I don't remember. It was something stupid where it's like, I don't even know who that guy is. And then he did something wrong. It was like, okay, cool. I think it was a penalty, pass interference. And uh, Tariq Carpenter, I saw, came up and made a play. I think it was a tackle at one point. That's all I really noticed. Um, Special teams, I thought, was up and down. I thought the punting was kind of bad. It seemed like they were really short punts, you know? Um, When when they punt the ball and you can hear the audience ooing and eyeing and cheering and, and borderline laughing, you know it's not a good punt. Heard a lot of that. Um, Gabe Burkick, I'm assuming he's just gone. I mean, there's I don't know why they would keep him. Get any other guy that's sitting out there as a free agent to come in as, as competition because there's no point. Go get anybody else. It doesn't matter who it is. Go get them. Gabe needs to go. It's not going to work. Um, you know, Coach Hahn did mention I'd, I'd like to see the snap and all that stuff. Maybe it wasn't Gabe's fault. Maybe. I don't know. If that's the case, then then ship Jack Coco out of here, I guess. I don't know what else to tell you, or, or Pat O'Donnell with the hold. But we can't have that, especially if it was the, the snap and hold. Because then that means Mason's going to come back, and he's going to have kicks like that, and that can't be allowed. Can't do it. But I thought the returning looked a lot better. The coverage unit seemed a lot better. It's just the, it's the kicking. Field goal kicking and punting, it just looked ugly to me. And then, you know, penalties on top of it. I mean, we, we had a, a kickoff that should have gone out of bounds if the guy wasn't dumb enough to touch it before it went out. That would have been a penalty right there. How, how do you do that? Can't blame that on a snap and a hold. It's on a tee, and he kicked that out of bounds. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it isn't going to work with Gabe. But I thought Amari looked good returning. I thought Rico looked good. I thought Romeo looked pretty good. I thought everybody, with the exception of Hyman, not that he did anything wrong, it just, it just was scary watching him back there. But I thought everybody did a good job. So anyways, I got to get out of here. Sorry it was late. Um, we had the little one, and I got to go take my wife to the doctor because she is not doing well. So I would like to do a Chicago Bears stream just because I want to laugh at Justin Fields a little bit, although he may have a good day. I don't know. I, I, I just want to see it. But um, that may not be an option at this point. We'll see how it goes. But you guys have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.